Chapter Three of the Wonderful Bed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wonderful Bed by Gertrude Nevels. Chapter Three: A Visit to the Goose. The door flew open almost before Rudolf had stopped knocking, and there was nothing very alarming about the person who stood on the threshold. Anne said afterward she had thought at first it was Miss Spriggins who came sometimes to sew for her mother, but it was not. It was only a very large gray goose, neatly dressed in blue and white bed-ticking, with a large white apron tied around her waist and wearing big spectacles with black rims to them. "'Nothing today, thank you,' said the goose. "'But please,' began Rudolph, "'No soap, no baking powder, no lightning rods, no hearth brooms, no cake tins, no life insurance,' rattled the goose so rapidly that the children could hardly understand her. "'Nothing at all today. Thank you.' "'But we want something,' Anne cried. "'We want to come in.' "'I never let in peddlers,' said the goose, and she slammed the door in their faces. As she slammed it, one of her broad apron strings caught in the crack, and Rudolph seized the end of it. When the goose opened the door and entered so to free herself, he held on firmly and said, "'Tell us, please, are you the warming-pan's aunt?' The gray goose looked immensely pleased, but shook her head. "'Nothing so simple,' said she, "'nor, so to speak, commonplace. Since the relationship, or connection, if you will have it, is, though perfectly to be distinguished, not always, as it were, entirely clear though his great-grandfather who as i hope you are aware was a dutch oven having run away with a cousin of my mother's uncle's stepfather who is three times married numbers one two and three all having children but none of them resembling one another in the slightest which as you may have perceived is only the beginning of the story but if you will now come in not forgetting to wipe your feet and try to follow me very carefully i'll be delighted to explain all particulars the children were glad to follow the lady goose into the house, though they thought she had been quite particular enough. They found it impossible to wipe their feet upon the mat because it was thick with snow, and when the door was closed behind them they were surprised to feel that it was snowing even harder inside the house than it was out. For a moment they stood half-blinded by the storm, unable to see clearly what kind of room they were in or to tell whose were the voices they heard so plainly. A great fluttering, cackling, and complaining was going on close to them, and a hoarse voice cried out, One hundred and seventeen and three-quarters feathers to be multiplied by two-sevenths of a pound. That's a sweet one. Do that if you can, Squealer. You can't do it yourself, a whining voice replied. I've tried the back and the corners and the edges. There's no more room. Then came the sound of a sudden smack as if someone's ears had been boxed when he least expected it, and this was followed by a loud, angry squawk. Now the flakes, which had been gradually thinning, died away entirely, and the children suddenly discovered that they had not been snowflakes at all, but only a cloud of white feathers sent whirling through the house, out of the windows, and up the chimney, by some disturbance in the midst of a great heap in one corner of the room as high as a haystack. From the middle of this heap of feathers stuck up two very thin yellow legs with shabby boots that gave one last despairing kick, and then were still. Nearby at a counter, a gentleman goose in a long apron was weighing feathers on a very small pair of scales, and at his elbow stood a little duck apprentice with the tears running down his cheeks. He was doing sums in a greasy sort of butcher's book that seemed quite full already of funny scratchy figures. That must be Squealer, 
the one who got his ears boxed, whispered Anne to Rudolph. But what do you suppose is the matter with the other duck, the one in the heap? He will be smothered. I know he will. Rudolph thought so, too, yet it didn't seem polite to mention it. The Lady Goose had been busily helping the children to brush off the feathers that were sticking to them, and patting Peter on the back with her bill because he said he was sure he had swallowed at least a pound. She now brought forward chairs for them all. As the children looked around more closely, they saw that the room they were in was a very cozy sort of place, long and low and neatly furnished with a white deal table, a shiny black cook stove, a great many bright copper saucepans, and a red geranium in the window. A large iron pot was boiling merrily on the stove, and from time to time the gray goose stirred its contents with a wooden spoon. It smelled rather good, and Peter, sniffing, began to put on his hungry expression. "'No, not even a family resemblance,' went on the gray goose, waving her spoon. "'Although, as is generally known, a Roman nose is characteristic in our family, having developed, in fact, at the time of that little affair, when we repelled the Gauls in the year—' but Rudolph felt he could not stand much more of this. "'I beg your pardon,' he interrupted, "'but would you mind if we helped the little one out of the heap? The, the duck who is getting so thoroughly smothered?' "'Not at all, if you care about it,' said the gray goose kindly. "'Squawker'll be good now, won't he, father?' "'Oh, I'm sure he'll be good,' Anne cried, and she ran ahead of Rudolph to catch hold of one of the thin yellow legs and give it a mighty pull." "'He'll be good,' said the gentleman goose, gravely speaking for the first time, "'when he's roasted. "'Very good indeed'll Squawker be, with applesauce.' "'And he smacked his lips and winked at Peter, "'who was standing close beside him, looking up earnestly into his face. "'Peter thought a moment. "'Then he said, "'I likes currant jelly on my duck. "'I eats applesauce on goose.' The gentleman goose appeared suddenly uncomfortable. He began nervously stuffing little parcels of the feathers he had been weighing into small blue and white striped bags, which he threw one after the other to Squealer, who never by any chance caught them as he turned his back at every throw. "'I suppose,' said the gentleman goose to Peter in a hesitating, anxious sort of voice, "'you believe, along with all the rest, what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander, don't you?' I suppose there's nothing saucy about yourself now, is there? And apparently comforted by his miserable little joke, he went on with his weighing. By this time the other little duck had been hauled out of the heap of feathers by Anne and Rudolph and stood coughing and sneezing and gasping in the middle of the floor. As soon as he had breath enough, he began calling pitifully for someone to brush the down off his Sunday trousers. The gray goose came good-naturedly to his assistance, but as she brushed him all the wrong way, the children couldn't see that she improved him very much. Squawker seemed quite pleased, however, and turned himself round and round for their approval. "'What kinds of birds are these new ones?' he asked the lady goose when she had finished with him. "'Why, just three more of us, Squawker, dear,' she answered. This remark made all three children open their eyes very wide. "'Nonsense!' began Rudolph angrily. "'We aren't geese.' From the other end of the room came the voice of the gentleman goose, who spoke without turning around. "'What makes you think that?' he asked. "'Because we aren't. We—' "'You're molding pretty badly, of course, now you mention it,' interrupted the lady goose. "'You and the little one. But this one's feathers seem in nice condition.' As she spoke, she laid a long claw lovingly on Anne's head. "'How much would you say a pound, father?' 
Can't say till I get him in the scales, of course. And smoothing down his apron, the gentleman goose advanced toward Anne in a businesslike fashion. The two little apprentices, carrying bags, followed at his heels. Anne clung to Rudolph. "'I haven't any feathers!' she screamed. "'They're curls! I'm not a nasty bird. I'm a little girl with hair!' "'She doesn't want to be plucked!' exclaimed the gray goose, who had returned to the stove to stir the contents of the iron pot. "'Well, now, did you ever? Maybe it goes in her family.' I had a great aunt once on my father's side who— They're feathers, all right, chuckled Squawker. You're a perfect little duck, that's what I think. Me too, chimed in Squealer. The gentleman goose reached over the lady goose's shoulder, snatched the spectacles off her nose without so much as a by-your-leave, set them crookedly on his own, and looked over them long and earnestly at Anne. So you want to call them hair, do you? he snapped. I suppose you think you belong in a hair mattress. Anne was ready to cry, and Rudolph had drawn his sword with the intention of doing his best to protect her, when at that moment a new voice was heard. Looking in at the little window over the top of the red geranium, the children saw a good-humored furry face with long bristly whiskers and bright twinkly eyes. Anybody mention my name? said the voice, and a large Belgian hare leaped lightly into the room. He was handsomely dressed in a light overcoat and checked trousers, and wore gaiters over his patent leather boots. He had a thick gold watch chain, gold studs, and cuff buttons besides other jewelry, and in one hand he carried a high hat, in the other a small dress suitcase and a tightly rolled umbrella. "'What's the matter here?' he inquired cheerfully. "'Why, this bird?' explained the gentleman goose, pointing his claw disdainfully at Anne. "'Says it has no feathers, which you can see for yourself is not the case. It has feathers, therefore it is a bird. Birds of a feather flock together. That settles it, I think. Come along, boys, to work.' At his command, the two duck apprentices, who were standing one on either side of Anne, made feeble dashes at the two long curls nearest them. Rudolph stepped forward." But the hare was before him. He only needed to stare at the two ducks through a single eyeglass he had screwed into one of his eyes to make them turn pale and drop their claws to their sides. "'Now, once more,' said the hare to Anne, "'what did you say you call those unpleasantly long whiskers of yours?' "'Hare,' Anne answered meekly, for she was too frightened to be offended. "'Hare,' echoed Rudolph and Peter loudly. "'Bless me,' said their new friend. That's not at all my business, is it? Not at all in my line, oh no. He gathered up his hat, dress suitcase, and little umbrella from the floor where he had dropped them. Be sure you don't follow me, he said, nodding pleasantly and winking at the children. Then he stepped to the door without so much as a look at the gentleman goose who called out angrily, Stop! Stop! Catch him, squealer! At him, squawker! Hold him, boys! It was too late. The boys were too much afraid of the hare to do more than flutter and squawk a little, and as the gentleman goose did not seem inclined to make an attack single-handed, the hare, with the children behind him, got to the door in safety. Peter, however, had to be dragged along by Anne and Rudolph, for the lady goose had just removed the great pot from the stove in time to prevent its contents from boiling over, and the little boy was sniffing hungrily at the steam. Now she came after the children carrying a large spoonful of the bubbling stuff. All done! all done she cried don't go without a taste dears what's done asked peter eagerly turning back to her worms dear 
Red ones and brown ones, answered the Lady Goose. Boiled in vinegar, you know, just like Mother used to make, with a wee bit of grasshopper here and there for flavoring. Mother had the recipe handed down in her family, her side, you know, from my great-great-grandmother's half-sister, who was a de la Oy, but married a Mr. Gans and was potted in the year. They got Peter through the door by main force, Anne and Rudolph pushing behind and the hare pulling in front. Even then I am ashamed to say Peter kept calling out that he would like just a taste, and he couldn't see why the goose's worms wouldn't be just as good as the white kind cook sent up with cheese on the top. End of chapter 3